Before we continue with the show, a quick word from today's episode partner, UBS. Do you want to grow with your business? Then the UBS Growth Talks may be for you. You will get support from peers and experts in order to take that next big step towards success. And the best thing, it's free of charge. For more information, go to ubs.com forward slash growth talks. Value as such is subjective and guided by the individual who looks at the asset. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. You're very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sylvan. You are an executive director at UBS and also the head of the M&A Evaluation Desk at the corporate finance team in Switzerland. And our topic today is company valuation. First off, I want to start with the common misconceptions. So what do people often get wrong about company valuations with a focus on SMEs and startups? There are a number of misconceptions we come across in our daily interactions with clients. Often we have to educate clients what's the purpose and also the capabilities of evaluation and what can be reflected in evaluation and what not. One has to understand that value as such is subjective and guided by the individual who looks at the asset. What we try to achieve is to form a market consensus and a market estimate of an asset and that shall represent uh, where demand and supply meets. It's closer to a price estimate than the actual intrinsic value of the company. This can be the same, but has not to be the same. Also, often clients take reference points from large cap companies, from uh, reference transactions where they have incomplete knowledge about and apply them directly to their company. Obviously, this can go wrong and uh, there are a lot of um, also pitfalls when uh, applying evaluations where we don't have the full pictures. Then what's also where you have to educate clients is that there is a difference between the value potential and the time value of an asset. This is uh, specifically or most common case with startup companies where they have a business plan which shows one possible scenario of a future outcome and obviously if you apply the numbers directly into valuation models you get to very attractive figures but obviously in reality people look at various scenarios they have to judge that mm -hmm. and therefore the value potential does not equal the time value which also reflects alternatives and the risk associated with the execution of the business plan. In addition, there's also the case that people orient themselves at historic uh, prices. If they paid X for an asset, they, pack, they expect to receive X plus or X minus Y for that asset. And also they look at the incurred cost and effort they spent in building up the company. A, uh, one example here is with R&D. Uh, from an investor's perspective, it's uh, not dependent on if you spent 10 years in, in developing something or just had a stroke of genius yesterday and arrived at that outcome. For one, the incurred cost and effort would be enormous. For the other one, it could be nothing. At the end of the day, it's what we have today looking forward, what's relevant, and therefore that can be 
that can lead to uh, larger discrepancies um, in uh, value considerations. Yeah, very interesting perspectives, I think, here to start. I also want to start with the basics. So why should I actually think about a company valuation or what are the main reasons why I actually should do a company valuation for my own startup, for example? Main reason and also the bulk of our commercial service work is obviously the, the acquisition or the disposal of an asset, be that a company as a whole or parts of a company. Um, if I uh, buy a company, I first have to make up my mind what's the company worth for me. I have to reflect what I can do with the asset, but I also have to uh, do not want to overpay um, a certain company. Uh, I have to get a judgment on what would the market be willing to pay for that asset mm -hmm. that I can put in a competitive offer, which uh, then uh, allows me to acquire a company at a fair value. On the other hand, uh, if I'm preparing myself um, to sell the company, um, usually I want to uh, know first what is a realistic achievable sales price. Uh, is the market timing good? Are my assumptions correct? Is, is my planning solid and robust? Uh, have I done my homework with the value proposition? Do I have expectation gaps here, which I'd like to know before addressing a huge uh, community of potential investors and then being embarrassed when not fetching the sales price that I um, intended to achieve. And, you know, talking about homeworks, what homework, what do I have to have in order before I actually can start the company evaluation process? I'm sure there are certain things that are often forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, there are two elements to these questions. One is the homework of the company and the company owner. Mm -hmm. And the other is the, the homework of, of the, the person uh, in charge of the valuation. I think uh, with regards to the company owner, there is limited uh, elements that you can do ad hoc uh, to uh, influence the valuation. Obviously, you have to bring all your knowledge and also thoughts about the future of the company in a form which a third party can then uh, obviously draw conclusions from. And this has to be uh, consistent, this has to be transparent, this has to be complete, just to allow a sound judgment uh, on the company. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you arrive, as, as uh, somebody do in the valuation, and, and we always put ourselves in the shoes of, of somebody who's going to acquire the company, uh, and then you learn that uh, there are elements missing to the story, that there is no vision for the future, that uh, there is no, no sound reasoning why these elements are, are uh, like that, and there are other things done which, which are inconsistent, then that it's difficult to, to ad hoc come up uh, with, with a good explanation. So the, the, the more you are in the driver's seat of the company, and especially if you see yourself also uh, already uh, in, the, the, in the door out and, and trying to, to sell the company, you still have to have a very good and firm vision of the future of the company because that's going to influence the most uh, what uh, buyers will... Uh, will, um, will think of, of the company and uh, mm -hmm. the investment case. And then when we actually start with the valuation process, there are different methods how you can actually value your company. So mm -hmm. what are the common practices that you also yourself use? Yeah, there are two fundamental uh, approaches. One is valuation and one is pricing. And with valuation, you try to reflect the intrinsic value of the company 
defined by uh, its its future cash flows, um, take into account uh, the the risk associated uh, with the investment. Also, an asset based approach would be a fundamental approach. Really, like mm-hmm. to look at. Uh, uh, what is the company and uh, the bundle of assets uh, generating in in future benefits uh, for me? And then we have pricing, where we look at an asset and and look just at prices of comparable uh, companies, and then draw those uh, conclusions uh, from that. This is more like you going into a supermarket and looking at things on the shelf and um, see that uh, in Migro a pound of um, Baking powder costs X and in gold it costs Y. And then you see, is that high or is that low? And and you try to triangulate the value in, in making uh, a bundle of, of different assessment based on profit, based on sales, based on, on asset-based uh, numbers. That, that also gives you a range where the value of that asset uh, should be. Um, in, in practice, uh, I'm... Um, I'm always applying uh, the whole set of, of instruments that we have at hand. What we want to achieve also from a, from an advice uh, point of view is, is that we, we covered all, all bases when looking at an asset and, and came up uh, with, with the, the most likely conclusion. Mm-hmm. There, there are always some methodologies which produce results which are relatively high to relatively low. And, and the quality of a good valuation is to explain why those differences occur and why the figure that we come out with in the end is closer to that and more represented by applying this methodology. Or if you apply that methodology, we do have to make additional adjustments to take into account other qualitative uh, factors. So um, there's, as mentioned, um, you have have to have the toolkit. You have to look at a situation and apply the, the tools that make most sense and um, best reflect uh, the, the value of, of, of the underlying asset. Is there any difference, any significant difference between valuing an SME and a startup? Or like, do you use the same method there to, yep. to come up with the value or do you use different methods? Um, I think if we Look at valuing SMEs, there um, you do some adjustments with regards to size uh, and liquidity, obviously, the, because you, you do not address with an SME the same um, universe of investors as we do with larger cap companies. But mm-hmm. there are rather mechanic and, and rather transparent ways uh, to account for that. With SMEs, uh, with, with startup, we've, we open a whole different uh, chapter of the book. Because um, with with startups, um, the, what I said uh, initially that the value is subjective is, uh, is is more true for them than than anything else. Because as as often is the case, uh, the future um, is is pretty much open. It's a dynamic uh, field. You look at one point in the development of the company, and and there are a multitude of potential outcomes being that of the internal development, but also on the development of, of um, the, the world around that company. Where, and you can only take that into very limited account. So um, we usually look there at uh, what's the purpose of the valuation. If you're a startup company, as an owner, uh, the company has to be worth uh, uh, the, the absolute maximum or the, the larger figures you can imagine because you, you have to also signal to investors that you are so believe in your story and you believe that more than everybody else in the world. 
Mm-hmm. So to to uh, no circumstance, if not forced, you will be able to give up something uh, of your child uh, to to an outside investor. So only at a, a, a very high price. And obviously, right. there, there then uh, the, the reality comes in at a certain point in time. You are forced uh, probably to take on external money um, to develop the company as intended. And then there's really one is that the question of supply and demand. And there's the question also, what's the use of that money? How many uh, investment rounds do you need until exit? It's really a complex discussion where it's, it's, it's even less uh, possible with traditional valuation methodologies to, to come up with meaningful numbers. They are, they are used as, as valuable tools for analytics to uh, calculate several value potentials. But these are only uh, very, very, let's say, soft points uh, where you can yeah, this, uh, try to make more transparent the underlying investment case and, and, and put some figures uh, behind the thoughts, but, but not really a basis uh, for, for coming up with a figure which uh, is, is within a, a plus minus 10 to 20 percent uh, um, uh, um, area of the final outcome of an investment round. Right. Because uh, as mentioned pr- uh, prior, we, uh, when we do um, evaluation, we always want to advise clients what's the best under a given set of circumstances. And you can, in a, if there's no restrictions, you can do everything. But obviously, in every situation, you have a multitude of restrictions. And, and we have to advise them what's the best course of action to take. And, and what's also from our point of view, where we draw upon a, a huge uh, experience of transactions we, that we um, had a uh, advising role on, also uh, that we have insights uh, from, from where somebody within corporate finance had exposure to a transaction. We draw from that wealth of experience to try to come up uh, with, with uh, sensible uh, answers um, to, to really complex um, solutions and it's it's never black and white and um, figure you achieve in the end it's, it's often also only one element of a, of a, of a complex uh, transaction framework which also uh, includes uh, shareholders agreements exit rights so on and so forth i would also like to mention and to go into a bit more detail of the different valuation methods that you have at hand Maybe one of the most common ones, not for SMEs and startups, but for the very large publicly listed mm-hmm. uh, companies is the market capitalization. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty simple, right? There you have the market cap. That is the value of the company. Well, that is the value. One, one has to be also there a little bit careful when we um, uh, talk of value. The market cap uh, is just the figure that uh, stands for uh, a share price, which you can observe on a market multiplied by the outstanding shares of the company. And that gives you the, the market capitalization of the equity of the company. But when observing a share price, for example, we have to also consider that we are looking only at one share. Mm-hmm. So you cannot buy the company for the same price as the price of the share. So there you right. already have an element of a takeover premium, which you then uh, would, would have um, to add to that. And obviously, the, then uh, we can estimate if that uh, market price of the share is also reflecting all the information that is in the market extreme uh, for a spe- for example, with uh, very thinly traded companies, uh, for example, on the Bernie Stock Exchange, um, you don't have uh, liquidity in the training, in the trading, excuse me, 
which also means that the share price does not have necessarily be uh, the best uh, indicator of the current value of the company. Yeah. It only reflects a limited amount of, of information and, and not all the information is out there and, and uh, the price setting mechanisms are not uh, 100% perfect uh, because of uh, lacking liquidity in that marketplace. Right. And another method that we research is the times revenue method. Yeah. What is that and how does it work? Um, the times revenue, that's, uh, if, when you look at the fundamental, these are the pricing uh, uh, methodologies. Mm -hmm. Times revenue is a revenue multiple where you try to assess the enterprise value, which is different from the equity value usually, uh, by expressing them uh, as a, uh, a multiple of the the revenue a company is generating. And this is a, a very broad measure and a very imprecise uh, measure because it, it does not take uh, into account the profitability of the company, which is <laughs> the, the most important uh, aspects, but, but various other elements, obviously. It, it's really a simplification, but it allows you to compare companies one against the other and also allows for some judgment on companies where which currently do not produce uh, earnings or where the earning the current earning situation is not representative for the underlying uh, sustainable earnings generated by the company um, uh, we use that uh, as, as complementary figures mostly uh, with, with startups it's probably more often used but also there, we, if we take a uh, revenue multiplier method, um, then uh, this is uh, always in connection with also an EBITDA or an EBIT multiplier. Mm -hmm. Then we basically look at the evolution of the company where we do think uh, where is the EBITDA in three to five years and, and what will be the investor judgment on that EBITDA, how much of that can be achieved. It, will it be expensive in three years if the company achieves those figures? And if a company does not um, uh, achieve any earnings today, obviously you, you have to take another measure to to uh, express uh, companies on on revenue multiples uh, as of uh, as of today. And then the alternative is the earnings multiple. Mm -hmm. So I guess that works pretty simple, but just with the earnings. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the earnings and the revenue, this is basically the top line and the bottom line of the profit and loss statement. Uh, uh, with the revenue, the, the advantage is that the figure is, is pretty straight. Uh, you have very little room to manipulate the figure and, and uh, the sales figure is a sales figure no matter what accounting you apply. I mean, there there's some differences in revenue recognition, obviously, but... Uh, but the room for discrepancies there in, in treatment is, is much less. And the further you go down um, the, the profit and loss of a company, the further the results get subject to different accounting treatments, also temporary uh, impacts, uh, be that tax, mm -hmm. currency, financing, whatever. And what we try to achieve is to have uh, the figure also on a multiplier basis, which is most representative for the sustainable cash flow a, a company is, is generating. And, and therefore, in practice, often the EBITDA multiple is seen as uh, the best cash proxy and uh, has most relevance in um, when applying uh, multiple evaluations also in practice. We often come across also among us, we talk about what's the, is it six times EBITDA? Is it eight times? Uh, what do we see here? Yes, but EBITDA, this needs more reinvest. So we only see a smaller uh, EBITDA 
multiple, what is it on EBIT? This is basically EBTAs, the, uh, the operating earnings before depreciation and amortization. So it, it looks at uh, what can be generated before considering uh, what part of that do we need to reinvest in the company. Right. So a company with more need for reinvestment, obviously the, the franc of EBITDA I earn is less worth than a company where I do not have to reinvest everything because that then goes straight to my pocket. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really a, a, always a balanced judgment you, you have to form on, on all levels of the, mul of the multiples with uh, um, uh, SMEs, uh, for example, uh, we, we usually take EBIT uh, or EBITDA as, mm -hmm. as most relevant figures. Earnings can be distorted, as mentioned, due to timing practices, non-operating um, elements. Uh, revenue is, is, is too, too crude of a measure to, to really draw meaningful, uh, meaningful conclusions because it just has a blind eye on the profitability of the company. And actually, with both uh, methods that we just discussed, you actually need a multiple. So how do you determine the right multiple? Well, the multiple is uh, coming out of the publicly quoted companies. As mentioned, you mentioned before, the market capitalization. Um, you have there an observable value uh, for a company. That's the market value of the company, which is the equity value plus... Um, that and that the elements which then forms the enterprise value and you can observe that you have databases you can read those out and you see also the revenues and uh, the EBITDAs and the EBIT of those companies and also you have forecasts from analysts how they will develop or are supposed to develop in the future and that mm. gives you a data set I would say a company today is uh, eight times 2020 uh, EBTA, seven times 2021, six times 2022. You see that the growth pattern underlying and, and how the, the market is valuing those companies. And then you can obviously form a, a peer group mm -hmm. where you say, I look at companies being active in the same field, catering uh, similar clients or comparable clients facing the same circumstances. Obviously, if I have, um, it's, it's always future looking. So if I expect... Uh, uh, my company to earn 100 in EBIT um, this year, 2021. I look at all the peer companies, they are called. Um, they are uh, on average traded with an A time or they, they range from six to 12 times. Where would that company I look at uh, be most sensibly uh, lie in that range of the peer group? And then you can deduct a, for that company, for example, it's seven times EBITDA, so 700 would be a, a reasonable figure. Perfect. We also have another method, uh, discounted cash flow or DCF in short as a, an additional method. Yep. How common is that and how do you use it? Um, that's uh, usually the backbone. And when I say the backbone of the valuation is that I need to have uh, for every valuation a meaningful view of the future financial development of a company. Mm -hmm. I have to think where that company will uh, go in the next couple of years and also bring that down to, to profit and loss figures to, to balance sheet assumptions. So naturally, um, the discounted cash flows gives me the most accurate view if those plans materialize. And also when applying an EBITDA or a, a revenue multiple, I always apply them to future figures. 
very little is of interest what happens in the past. Everybody's interest is what I'm going to earn in the future. So I have to have that set of figures anyhow. And, and the most accurate number I can come up with is the free cash flow uh, showing all those interdependencies, at least that I know of, and at least that I used some scrutiny and effort to come up with, with the most probable likely outcome. And if I have that, uh, that gives me the fundamental value of the company. Um, however, this method has a huge drawbacks uh, uh, because there are so many individual factors uh, playing into that. Uh, none of them are usually mutually exclusive. So they're also interconnected and there are dependencies. And, and often people try then to reduce uh, the, the overall complexity by, by adjusting one crude figures to arrive at a number they had in mind before they even started the exercise. So and these are usually the cost of capital. And um, so for us, it's a very powerful tool with regards to what are possible future outcomes and what are the value conclusions of, of possible uh, future outcomes. And then uh, also um, cross-reference that with the market values because of the, the companies in an industry, if you have the right peer group, you can assume that the value drivers are are comparable with the peer group companies and the DCF. So if you arrive at a result uh, in the, with the DCF that's way higher than with the, with the peer group results, you have to ask yourself, was I overly optimistic in my projections? Why am I uh, developing better than everybody else? Do I have a blind eye on certain risks? Are there alternatives I do not take into account? Are there several elements missing? And there is a back and forth always between um, all the methodologies also to to reflect that on, on the current business plan and to make sure that, uh, yeah, to the best of your uh, efforts and knowledge, all information you have is reflected also uh, in the DCF methodology. But we, we see in practice that it's uh, often overly technically used. Just I have a business plan and then the question is, yeah, what's the whack? Right. Yeah, <laughs> and that cannot be judged uh, uh, without judging everything else. <laughs> because the business plan, you have to judge the risk with the business plan. We are, we are not usually confronted in a situation where that capital as a pricing model, which is uh, most commonly used to define that uh, weighted average cost of capital, that assumes that every risk is fully diversifiable. And, and you look at every asset only from a portfolio basis. So if you acquire 100 companies, you can live with one uh, not reaching its goals and probably also going belly up because you have 99 others which are making up for that. If you're going with an SME to, to the market, you're looking at uh, a competitor, probably a, a business of singles uh, of, of same size, and they are looking at it and they, they cannot afford that this, that this investment goes sour. <laughs> so they have a different risk perception. And the question is, who, who is the relevant, uh, what is the relevant market for the company and, and how will that be reflected? And then it becomes uh, pretty uh, pretty um, complex and then you have also then to factor in other elements to come up with, with sensible conclusions. But for the underlying financial analysis, which has to be done in any case with every methodology, that's uh, basically, that's why I also call it the backbone because you should put enough um, diligence uh, and effort in, in uh, coming up with your vision for the company for the next three to five years, does not have to be 10 years, um, but, and then put those into, into consistent and robust uh, figures to start your valuation exercise in the first place. 
And last but not least, there are two additional methods that we can choose from, the book value and also the liquidation value. Do they play any role in your valuation process? Yes, they do. Um, For example, with companies uh, of, of a limited future, if you look at a company where, uh, which loses uh, the basis of, of doing business, be that uh, by uh, a pandemic, right, <laughs> be yeah. that by uh, the, the owner just being so instrumental for the company that he cannot be replaced. That's especially the case for smaller companies. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you look more at the bundle of assets rather than a continuing stream of earnings, then you uh, look at book values. You can adjust those book values because uh, when you try to make those book values into cash, for some uh, they will be uh, not uh, uh, undervalued and you will achieve a higher market price. For other ones, uh, the market price uh, will be uh, lower or there will be no market at all and you just have to scrap it. So, um, and if you talk of liquidation value, one has to be aware that a uh, yeah, meaningful portion of uh, businesses uh, and business successions are de facto liquidations. So, also in cases where there is a huge substance, and that uh, often is also the case in the form of real estate, where you have a, a factory which uh, was uh, in a town located next to uh, the main station uh, 100 years ago and now um, yeah the industrial um, <laughs> the, the industrial world has changed uh, all manufacturing and everything else and then the ground it stands is just much too expensive to operate a business in uh, then probably the, the value of the real estate is more than of the company and then you have to, to decide what's the value of the company can I transfer it to a different place is that mm. possible at all or the highest figures might be then the liquidation value and of course you also wonder now by understanding the different valuation methods that we have at hand how can we positively or also negatively influence the value of our company yeah the, the value of the company is is um, influenced by the business decisions that an entrepreneur makes what we can do is when we uh, accompany them uh, on a longer term basis show them elements which can be done differently for example you use leasing whereas you acquire assets uh, do financial engineering elements uh, also um, ask some questions if this is uh, from a financial point of view really the best way to do stuff be that with location but other than that uh, the value is, is driven by the investment case and you cannot uh, in the short term change your investment case you can stress out some elements which uh, are critical from an investor's point of view where he could work on, for example, with the compositions of customers, if you have a bulk risks on the customer side or on the supplier side, that that would be negatively perceived by investors. And there can be small adjustments made, but uh, other than uh, coming up with, uh, let's say, the, the documentation of the investment case, making everything transparent uh, and put it in also, make it understandable for investors. Investors, uh, it's difficult. You cannot uh, just um, construe values <laughs> ad hoc, <laughs> right? And we also learned that it's quite a, a, a complex process to come up with the right uh, company valuation. Mm-hmm. 
to use any tools along that process that make your life a bit easier? <laughs> sure, sure. We use tools. Uh, I think most important tools are uh, our databases. Um, I think the calculation we do uh, only at uh, at the end of, of, of every evaluation project. Most important is to, to gather information about the industry, about mm -hmm. the target, the trends, the investor sentiment to the industry. There, there are certain elements like... Uh, for example, a merchant market or fact set, which give you those data points with regard to valuation of, of peer companies or also past M&A transactions, how much has actually been paid for certain companies uh, that allow you that. And, and beyond that, we obviously then uh, draw on to uh, research, uh, sector-specific research to form a judgment. What are the growth rates within the industry? What are the underlying drivers? Where is this company positioned? Whereas its competitors? When, when looking at... Uh, um, at uh, companies, we, we usually start with with the investment case and the old porters, five forces. <laughs> Where does it go? Uh, what are the different uh, influences uh, on on the company? The substitutes, uh, the, the clients, the suppliers. Um, and, and to make a judgment on that. And only at the end, you put that into figures and usually you could do that on a, on a piece of paper. I mean, we use Excel, but <laughs> you could also do that with a, with a pocket calculator or your iPhone. That's not uh, overly complex. <laughs> and But at the same time, you know, these external things, the market and everything else that you mentioned, they yeah. constantly change. So the question is also, how often should I actually do a company evaluation? Is that something that I should repeat every year or what's your take on this? Uh, it uh, depends on the purpose uh, of the valuation. Uh, we have clients who do that on a regular basis uh, as a sort of strategic controlling, mm -hmm. um, just to see how it develops, uh, uh, to, to form a judgment if they are on the right path. Uh, yeah, uh, we have other clients, uh, they do that uh, for incentive plans and also employee participation uh, schemes. Yeah. Uh, for them, we do it usually on a annual to biannual basis. Um, it is an exercise which requires some efforts and also uh, implies certain costs. So um, it, it cannot be done uh, on a weekly basis. This doesn't not make sense. Um, and and most of our work is event driven, basically selling a company, buying right. a company. Um, even one year can be can be quite short for, let's say, um, stable businesses. But uh, as, as we've seen in the past year, things can change <laughs> rather quickly. And probably one year is way too long if, um, if uh, for that use, you need to have to figure now. Right. So, uh, but in general, annually, biannually is, is uh, a sensible figure. And purpose-driven, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in what situations should I, should I actually seek outside help because I probably can't do all the valuation process purely by myself and with yeah. my own team, right? I mean, there, I, I again want to stress that for, for me, valuation is, is always an advice. Mm -hmm. It's not, the main goal for me is not to come up with a figure which is pinpoint accurate to the, the fifth decimal. That's, that's, uh, that's an illusion that that's possible at all. And it's only my main goal is to reflect all investor considerations on a company and show the different points and angles of view that investors take at a company and, and show the entrepreneur, if you look at that, that's seen as advantages, that's maybe seen as critical and really sharpen 
his his awareness of 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 what's the outside perception of his company. So um, I don't know if that answer uh, answers the question, but um, I think it's it's more of a, a reflection. Uh, me as an entrepreneur, I'm I'm so invested in the business and. Uh, also myself, if I if I do something by heart, uh, usually it's it's I have it right in front of my eyes, and and our um, job is to take really two three steps back and reflect everything we see with how you could look at it uh, from the outside world and and with a, with a focus on the financials and and the investment case and and that can deliver uh, a very interesting input uh, to an entrepreneur with regards to uh, is that vision that i have uh, uh, is that uh, seen sound and uh, viable from an outside view where are the pitfalls what are the elements which are seen critical where do i have to work on some more to convince people of my case Right. And in that regard, how does UBS support startups in this matter? How can you help them? Yep. Um, with startups and valuation, I have to be quite honest that we uh, do not go into the field of commercially valuing startup businesses. Because I, as mentioned uh, in the introduction, um, we are there solution-oriented. So if we uh, advise uh, startup companies, then it's event-driven uh, if they require some outside funds uh, to develop the company. And there is, it's more on a, uh, on a how do you uh, build up the investment case, to whom presented, in what manner, what's the timing, whom to approach, what to tell, what's the message. And obviously you have some, some ideas of, of where the value, value levels might be and, and what can be achieved, but this is very broad and, and it's, uh, as mentioned, it's, it's not, uh, the solution is not by making more calculations. <laughs> the solution is that doing more of the right thing and, and try to, to achieve the maximum and then make a, a sound decision if I go on entering that transactions with that investor, which is the best investor that I could have under the current circumstances and are making those figures sense instead of coming up with the figures first and, and then trying to, to achieve that. Uh, um, obviously, often the investor also requires some guidance and they're, uh, yeah, just from process view, as mentioned uh, before, and also uh, me as an owner, I see the value always uh, very high. <laughs> That's the natural bias that we have as obviously, founders or owners, yeah. exactly. It's like my old children are always the most beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, thank you for sharing all these insights, Jörg. We want to sort of wrap up this episode with some rapid-fire questions for you. So I either give you a choice or a short question you can answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Sure. What company would you like to have co-founded? Uh, that's a company called uh, Swift, which is uh, active in the virtual bicycling, um, bicycle uh, training uh, space. Nice. And what's your favorite valuation method if you had to choose one? At the end of the day, uh, it has to be multiples, knowing that they are more complex than everything else uh, when done right. And where do you go to think? It's on my bike. Uh, not surprisingly, <laughs> after the first answer. And what's the best reason for performing company valuation assessment from your perspective? Uh, either for an event or for a self-reflection to also get that outside view in and uh, yeah, get an honest view out. Uh, and then biased uh, view from, from an outsider. Nice. 
And the last question for you today, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Numbers as such are mostly meaningless uh, if you don't have the context. I like that a lot. Jörg, thank you so much for stopping by. All the best for the future and hopefully some happy more valuation processes along the way. Thanks to you, Silvan. Very nice talking to you.